What's happening? Yo, this is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, host, founder of Seeking Excellence Podcast. Today, I'm blessed with uh, one of the craziest, most awesome dudes I know. Another social media friend, Instagram friend, Austin, also known as the basic Catholic. And so Austin and I have an awesome conversation around so many different things like Vatican II, traditional Latin mass, problem with the church in America, evangelization, conversion, all kinds of things. And so we had a great talk. Um, and I hope that you really enjoy it. We share some hot takes. I've even been moved by some of the things that I've learned in this podcast and have changed a pretty substantial part of my life in regards to what parish I go to um, because of the conversations we had in this podcast. And so Emily and I both, uh, after this conversation, were like, yeah, we need to change parishes. And so, yeah, I'll let you figure out why that is, what we talk about later on. But it was a great conversation. I hope it challenges you. I hope it helps you learn something today. And I hope you feel inspired and have the practical wisdom to go out and be a better you. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. My man, Austin. Now, I know you don't like to share the last name, so I'm going to go <laughs> go with you, Austin, today, because I know uh, you, got the, you got the whole secret squirrel kind of thing going on. So That anonymity is important. <laughs> That's right, and I don't want to ruin that for you. So, Austin. Or Megan did on their podcast the other day, so. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's great to have you with me, brother. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, if anything, I'm just disappointed it's taken this long for you to ask me. I figured I figured as we got to know each other, this would be the best way to talk. And, you know. <laughs> Amen. Well, now you can be a regular. You know, we'd love to have there you back. Out. There we go. I already I know. know. Handle that. I don't know if people can handle that. That's true. That's what I was always worried about. You know, I try to bring on people like Emily's like nice and sweet. You know what I mean? She comes on, she kind of balances me out. And you and I, we have no balance here today. <laughs> That's for sure. The, the, the Peter Tots are on one side. <laughs> you know? I at least, know, exactly. at least know in every friendship you have to have some type of conflict and we at least have one thing going right in unless I look at your wall I've had too many army interactions today to like just uh, I, I see the platoon photo and I see that army thing and with the, you like you know, the little, little, little ranger graduation something we don't agree on so that's good that's right praise the lord so speaking of that tell the people why you don't appreciate the army as much as everybody else in America 
Uh, well, first of all, that's fake news. And second of all, because I served in the greatest military the world has ever known, the greatest Navy uh, for eight years of my life. And I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, go Navy, beat Army. Amen. Yeah, no, I support you saying that on the podcast. We'll just bleep that out later on. Uh, but nevertheless, so, you, so, so the rumors are true. You are a liberal. You're gonna you're gonna censor me. I appreciate that. <laughs> you won't. Yeah, I don't like to have opposing opinions on the podcast. So, gotcha. Yeah, anything I don't like, I just yeah, I just bleep it out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so that's great. So tell us about. So I know, obviously, I want you to keep up the mystique. You know what I mean? I didn't come here to ruin your brand today. It's, it's not a brand. It's just it's, my life, and I don't. People know enough about me. It's like, can I just have a little bit to myself? That's like, true. That's fair. Tell me, like, you never show your apartment, or you never this. You're always showing your view. I'm not trying to show you my view. I just don't. You don't need to see inside my house. Like I, I it's. I hear it's elegant though. Oh, now you can start. <laughs> now you can start uh, editing stuff out. Uh, house of Royals. Uh, they might have called it elegant. My, the entryway is elegant. I don't know if I call the whole place elegant. Nice. You've seen That's, my place. It's not elegant. It's super I have, chill. I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is pretty chill. It's a nice place, though. It's okay. But uh, we'd love to hear. I'd love to hear a little bit about your conversion story. I know you're a fellow convert. So talk to me well, a little bit I about actually, that. Again, we're already going to start beefing because, no, I'm not a convert. Oh, I thought that you were. I'm a fulfilled Jew. Oh, oh, forgive me, forgive eyes, me. Forgive. I didn't roll my eyes. I had something in my eyelid, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you pointing out to the listeners <laughs> what's going down. So tell me your story about... I helped bring it out. <laughs> that's right. Praise God. Tell me about your story about becoming a fulfilled Jew, please. Uh, just because I think I've talked about it a lot, but to give some con- some context to your, to your listeners, I, when I was in high school, I worked at a, a company uh, in high school at a, at a at a place that took me to a Catholic church on my first day at the job. And I remember being, I probably would have been 16, 17 years old, walking into St. Mary's church and not knowing anything about the tabernacle, the true presence, the Eucharist, any of it. And I felt as a very secular Jewish boy, God is present in this building, like truly present. And I didn't know what that was, um, but it, from that moment on, I had this desire to know more about the church. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to become Catholic. Because even the idea that what does that even mean, becoming Catholic? Um, just like being Jewish, you don't become Jewish, you're just Jewish. So I didn't even know that was like a thing about converting per se, or excuse me, becoming a fulfilled Jew. Amen. Uh, coming into the church, coming into the church. Um, but I just really got curious. I went to a very large public high school and I started like doing anything my my library had on Catholic church I looked at. So, but it was mostly because it's a Catholic school. It wasn't, or excuse me, a public school. It was all, you know, the Vatican archives, Vatican museum, things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, it really started. <laughs> Just one day, I remember still walking into that church and uh, just feeling God's presence. Ironically enough, I've had this whole thing in my life where I combat Mormons, and that church was built by a priest with the first Mormon temple that was burned down. This they He took all the, the stonework, put it on a barge, and put it up the Mississippi River and built that church in the 1800s out of the destroyed Mormon temple. So wow, God's got a lot of funny little things in my life. I don't know how to make sense of it. He does. So tell me more about that. Tell me more about your, your, your destroying of the Mormons. <laughs> I just, I, I always get frustrated and I love having conversations with Mormons. When you look at my Instagram account of things I'm looking at, there's, I get all these like Mormon missionary page, like really? because I'm fascinated by them because in a lot of ways, they have a lot of great attributes and qualities that I think Catholics could emulate. Number one, being helping Catholic businesses and professionals achieve their goals and be successful. Um, I think Catholics since 1960, the election of President John F. Kennedy, I think we've 
we become we've went mainstream and so we've lost that zeal to help one another our fellow catholics mm. so one i think that's where mormons are very good two they have very seemingly good families uh at least on the surface their families are seem to be very well uh put together um, right because they don't drink and smoke i think there's a history of that the genetics has been pretty pure so they look beautiful <laughs> Most more, a lot of Mormons, at least that's the, uh, the impression is they're very good looking people and very athletic and all put together. Um, right. And then lastly, I think they, they're very much, they have a zeal built into their, into their faith where most quote unquote good Mormons do a two-year missionary um, program somewhere in the world and wow. it's celebrated and it's, and it's really made a, um, a priority for young Mormons. So I think that's good. The, the negative side is the fact they're not Christian. And I right. think this is where I get on my, my thing is because people, I think a lot of people don't know that. And I think no. I've had some interesting conversations myself with Mormons who like were unaware of that. So definitely explain that. Well, so a lot Mormons of people don't know that. they're not, they're not, they believe that they can become their own God of their own planet someday that we have a God on this planet. Jesus Christ is the savior, all those things. That's why people think, Oh, they're Christian. No, no, no. They believe Jesus is the Lord and savior of this planet. And that they, if they're a temple Mormon, a man, if they're a temple Mormon, they can go and become a god of their own planet. And if their wife was good on earth and died after them, she would come up and they would populate their own planet. I'm sorry to say, and this might not be a popular opinion, that's crazy. So, <laughs> uh, but again, I, they're nice people. It's not meant to be mean or malicious. It's just the truth. And so I think it's important for people to realize uh, no, uh, you, you really can't relate too much. We already have issues with our Protestant, uh, brethren. We definitely have issues with, with Mormons, um, being completely outside of our understanding of what salvation is considering their stance on, you know, becoming their own God. Right. Yeah. Joseph Smith was, he was on one for sure. Joe, my, okay. So I'm not a fan of South Park per se. I was just about to ask you if you've ever seen this. <laughs> Joseph Smith was dumb, 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 dumb. When you said Joseph Smith, I was going to say that. Bro, yo, that is the, I, I'm telling you, if you, they if you ever. Point and they're Mormon. The craziest part, bro. If, yeah, if you, if you have to watch what's up for him, so make sure it's the one about Joseph, Joseph Smith, uh, because it's just hilarious, man. I remember, uh watching i watched like a reaction video i don't know what i was doing where i was at this point in my life but i watched some mormon girl react to like that episode it was like 12 minutes she like fast forwarded through it and stuff and she would like pause at certain points and like it was crazy how many times she'd be like well that's actually true like that is what we believe <laughs> you know what I mean? like they'd be doing like some facetious stuff that you think was just like a joke because it just seems so outlandish and crazy and she'd be like no but that that's real that is what we believe it's kind of a funny way of putting it but that's that's accurate. <laughs> well, again, the creators of South Park, who also created the Book of Mormon musical, they're they're Mormon. And the thing is, I didn't know that Mormon because they think, oh, um, let me read the Book of Mormon and start studying the fact that you have to be a Temple Mormon. And it's the same thing with like Jews. Like everyone's a Jew is a Jew, but there's only certain Jews that are Orthodox that are actually following the teachings of of Judaism and and its true tenets and you know keeping Shabbat and and keeping kosher, all those things. So yeah, there's a lot of Jews, but there's only so many that are religiously Jewish. Just like right. there's a lot of Mormons, not everyone's following everything. Like I know Mormons that drink coffee, uh, you know, ooh. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Mormons that drink. And uh, it is one of those things where the average Mormon doesn't even go that deep into the, the teachings to even understand the fact that, wait a minute, this ain't what? Right. This is what we're used to. We live in the community We're we're active. We go to the, we go to our, our temple. We, we are part of you know, a dist I think they call them districts or whatever, and we just do our thing. This is it. 
Yeah, and it's just kind of like what you end up knowing. Yeah, I definitely get that. It's interesting stuff. I think it's really intriguing because obviously Mormons claim to be Christians, but it's it's interesting once you kind of break that down and you realize that. I mean, the main thing, yeah, they don't believe in the Trinity. And it's like, that's, <laughs> if there's anything that all Christians believe in, <laughs> all the denominations, all the, even though we disagree on so many things, it's like, that's the one. Well, let's not get, we, we got to do the Protestants on a second episode. We can't, <laughs> you we can't be burning down everything tonight. That's right. Praise God. The Mormons are enough. So what I want to talk about more is the universality of the church. And I think, you know, you're a great person to talk about this with because you travel so much. I think you're, you know, you've gotten to meet a lot of people in your time as a Catholic, as a fulfilled Jew. Um, and so, you know, I just want to talk about that. I think a lot of people don't get to realize that, uh, you know, I think for me, one of my first times, bro, was when I went to, like, I remember going to the Dominican Republic, right? Uh, when I was a freshman in college and just like going to mass down there in Spanish. And then like the next year I went to Lithuania with the army and like going to mass because in Spanish, it's kind of like, okay, you know, like we have Spanish masses at home, but like, when it was in Lithuania, like I didn't understand a word and I'm literally like reading the mass readings. I knew where I was in the mass. Like it was a crazy experience. You know what I mean? But I think it's uh, something that a lot of people don't ever get to realize when it comes. So I guess this is kind of a segue from the Protestant talk, but um, <laughs> you know, like how crazy it is to just realize like that we are, you know, so universal. So uh, around, around the world. Nathan, and, like, I will tell you, we are, we are many parts and we are all one body. And the gifts we share, I'm kidding. I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. It is disgusting. He was getting in and he goes, preach. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I caught it on the third line. I was like, this bastard. Yeah, I think one of the greatest things, and for those people that, that listen to your podcast and don't know my, uh, we'll call it a shtick, is it's speaking <laughs> truth. This is why I don't get invited to play all the reindeer games like some Catholic uh, people on the, the web's. Because I don't, I'm not here to play nice. I'm here to I'm here to get myself and more importantly others. Well, no, same important uh, to heaven. And I'm not. Yeah, here you to, matter. You matter, Austin. Thank you so much. I really needed that. Um, no, I mean, the thing that people I I guess are appealed or are they appreciate about me is the fact that I'm going to speak honestly. The thing that turns people off is they think I'm not charitable, and I think people misunderstand what charity is. I'm called to to be holy, and I'm called to be virtuous. I'm not called to be nice. Um, and for me, the universality of the church is one of the most beautiful things in the world. Traveling the world as a Catholic, I, when I go anywhere in the country, I go any parish I go to, I'm already a member of that community. This isn't about, oh, this isn't my parish. No, this right. is my church. And these are my family members. The reason why I can make friends with people anywhere in the world, and it's not just some surface level, like, how are you doing, John? Let's get to know who you are. No, it's John's my brother. I just haven't met him yet, right? He's my cousin at a family reunion that I just hadn't met because they lived on the other side of the world. And now I'm meeting him for right. the first time. And so realizing that connection as a family, which goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, business and, and opportunities to each, and helping each other, um, that's the, the beauty of it. The difficult thing, and this is where I think really frustrates me, is we promise people when they become Catholic, so converts, when they become Catholic, you're going to be part of the big you know, universal church, universal, the one. But it's a complete farce if we're being candid, because it's not universal, how many people go to the parish that's actually in their boundaries they live? They don't. People mm. go to, they even mentioned the, the stupid talk I went to tonight. The people, the <laughs> chancellor of the diocese mentioned, you know, when they, people are parish hopping and that, that shouldn't be even a thing. Right. You tell people when you become Catholic, you're going to be a part of this one thing. Everything's the same. That's bull. It's not the same. I go to St. So-and-so because I like Father So-and-so's homilies. I go to St. 
Rita's because I like, I'm a Eucharistic minister. I go to St. So-and-so over here because their music's really good. And I go to St. That's not a, that's a Protestantization. It's a bastardization of what our church is as universality. Mm. Second of all, since you didn't bring it up, the most recent motu proprio by the Holy Father about divisiveness in the church and this disunity, what's more disunified in a church about the fact that every mass you go to as someone that travels as much as I've been able to do, I never can find a parish that is the same as the one I went to last yesterday or last week. Everything's right. different. Yeah, okay, the bones are maybe the same, but that's it. And not that we need to get into this 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 chat, but I bring up to people all the time. The reason I started going to the extraordinary form mass was because I got sick of abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. I said I got to go somewhere, and I I started going into that world. It felt like I was coming into the church again because I didn't know uh, anything that was happening. Yeah, no, no doubt. But now a year, Very humbling. a year and a half in, I love the fact that wherever I go, I don't, it's not about what I like about this or I like about that. It's, it's one, it's universal. The language mm. is the same no matter where I go. The reading, the way they do everything is the same. Right. It's the fact that if it's a high mass, a low mass, a typical high mass, the liturgy is the same. There is a complete universality of what we're experiencing. It's not whatever they do here, whatever their cultural expression is. It's all liberal nonsense, bull crap. We need to be one. And the devil has won. He's winning this, this, this battle. He's not going to win the war, but he's winning the battle because we've divided ourselves. All the problems we have in a society, everything stems from one thing, in my opinion, besides the fall. Do you know what it is? Only way from Christ. Yeah, that's a nice pleasantry, but what if it's one <laughs> time in history that this is where we're at with our society, with everything you pick. If, if, you, if we believe what gender. Oh, I know what it is. Pick me, uh, the prize of reformation. Absolutely. Ding, ding, ding. I, I, it's like, it's like maddening to me because we, that, that's where the ball started where everyone's like, you get to decide what you want. You get to decide how God is in the world. You get to decide how you want to worship God as he asks us to do. You right. get to decide what truth is. You start breaking that away. Well, here we are 500 years later. So all you morons out there celebrating the reformation, this is what brought us to this point now where we, everyone gets to decide what the heck they want to be and what they're going to do and what truth is and what up is and what down is all from that. Amen. Love to hear it. I think you said a lot of great things in there. I want to um, go back to something you shared multiple things. I want to talk about on a more, <laughs> on a deeper level. So Listen, for, I, I just want to say that I have all this energy because it's almost 10 o'clock. It is after 10 o'clock my time PM and I'm drinking this wonderful focus water. So, you know, <laughs> you're turning up. The night is young. For Mr. Austin. I don't even like, I was telling, I was talking to the owner today. I'm like, I don't even like pop. I'm from the Midwest originally pop. Yeah. Uh, but the like root weirdo. flavor, I don't even like root beer, but this is, I feel like I'm like getting a treat. And it's like, <laughs> you deserve it. That's hilarious. So I want to talk to you, like talk to me more about the, uh, the parish hopping. So I'm intrigued by that. Cause obviously you go to the extraordinary form. So like, where do you yeah, think? Na yeah, naturally. So is that, is that your closest parish or how do you, Determine like so let's say when you move to me is right there you can see it is that the extraordinary form that's no it's ordinary form it's the cathedral basilica and i'm a member there and i go to okay. master during the week typically and on the weekends i go to my second parish thanks to cardinal burke when he was the head of the pontifical uh some more um the the head the the judicial system in the rome in rome um he made it where you can belong to two parishes so i belong to two parishes really i didn't know that within my boundaries which is literally three blocks I go over there quite often. I'm there. I have drinks and whatnot with the priests over there quite a bit. And then I belong to another place, which is an oratory called the Oratory of St. Gregory and Augustine here in St. Louis. Mm. Um, and that was actually a place that Cardinal Burke suggested I go to. But that parish is a diocesan parish that is an oratory 
specifically geared towards the extraordinary form community. Right. So what do you think? So, so for us, let me give you an example for us. So I've, I've kind of felt torn about this recently because uh, I say us, because I often call this our place this is where we're going to end up living together. So we've been making decisions, parishes and stuff like that, obviously together since we're engaged. I think it's important that you keep bringing that up. And the fact that when you say us, it's not that you're living together, you're cohabitating, but you're just yeah. preparing for the inevitable. Try to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you feel me. So we have this one parish that's super dope that we love. Um, and that I think is, you know, and why I love it is because I think it's the most orthodox mass that I've been to other than the extraordinary form, which I admit is like a 35 minute drive. And so we haven't, we haven't made the, the full move there. Um, but it's at Orientum, um, beautiful, you know, beautiful hymns uh, and just, you know, orthodox pre- preaching that is actually like, you know, bold and, and true and, um, yeah, just they proclaim the gospel there. But the closest parish to us is the one that, like, when I first moved here, Emily was like, never go to this parish. Unleavened bread, like, the priests never wear the clerics. Um, they, uh, like, tabernacle not in the church. Like, it's basically like a circle, right? Like, every every bad thing that you can think of, like, in a parish, it, like, it will, like, make you physically sick it's to go to this like, parish. Okay, boomer. Now, the ch- exactly. The challenge, though, is that they just moved in a new pastor and he's supposed to be a rock star and it's supposed to be like trying to like turn things around. So I'm torn and I'm like, should we be going to this parish and trying to be, you know, part of that uh, kind of turnaround for them? Or do we go and become prisoners, you know, or, or do we do what, you know, the Austin style and split it up and go to I didn't know you could do the two for you can do two for, but like I have a particular thing because mine, the second one is an oratory. So it's a specific kind of, it doesn't right. have a geographical um, boundary. Uh, I see. I see. So that's where it makes it unique. The honest answer is you should be going to the parish and your boundary. Mm-hmm. Unless there's like a grave reason, you should absolutely go to the parish and your boundary. That's how this works. We have geographical. Is that like a church teaching thing or like a, just a logical, like strongly held belief? Thing. You know, it's a whole can of law thing. It's so crazy. It's constant. No, I was that wasn't. Just, I wasn't being an asshole. I was no, generally. No, I'm just yeah, saying, I was like, genuinely asking. <laughs> no, it's one of those things. Like the pastor of, of a parish, it's not just oh, these are the people that come and show up on my on. Right, parish. you're in charge of everybody. Every soul, Catholic or not Catholic, Christian or not Christian, every soul within the boundaries of that di- of that parish, you are responsible for. Can people go to other places? Absolutely. The church allows for it. But should you? I would argue no. And now, I at what point do you think that's reason. true no matter what? Okay, so great reason. No matter what, we're not can, crazy Protestants. We have, you know, we understand you give it's me an, complicated. Can you give me an example or two of a great reason that you think would push you to a different parish? If the, if the masses are continually illicit and causing scandal, then yes, I think that would be cause for to go somewhere else if it's going to cause you complete just create you know go nuts but you're somewhere else should be the next closest one i mean at that point at that point it's like what does it matter if it's outside your boundaries but i see um i think there's something to be said about the fact is everyone abandons these boomer parishes because they don't want to be there but how are they ever going to change if no one wants to make the change right it's like people going to the seminary now like oh well i go to the extraordinary form and i only want to go to you know a fraternity or or institute i'm only going to go to those places to study to be a priest well, most of the Catholic, most of the church is not within a society. They're within a diocese. How are we right. going to change the diocese if we don't have everybody to? leaves it? Let's, let's take it a step back further. This man is a really good man. He's he's good looking. He's he's charming. He's intelligent. He's athletic. We don't want him to be a priest. He should get married. Well, how are we ever going to have good holy priests if we only want to send the guys that are kind of lacking in some area? We we should send our best and brightest, just like the military. We should send the best and brightest to God. 
And if we do that, just like with anything, God will reward us, right? So yeah. just like that concept of you hear this bull crap all the time from people saying, well, why do you need these beautiful churches? Just give it to the homeless and then just have a meeting room. Well, what was the, always the concept is we give these immigrants that one of the most beautiful churches in America is down the street from my house called St. Francis de Sales. It's built in a very bad neighborhood now, but when it was built, it was built by German immigrants who I assume had nothing when they got here practically. And mm-hmm. they built this mar- marvelous, magnificent parish. They gave their first fruits to God and they were rewarded. And it's not, we're not Joel Olson here that if you do nice things, then God <laughs> will give you a boat, but <laughs> the story of Noah's Ark, but <laughs> But uh, but there is there is something to be said about give God our first fruits. <laughs> Sorry about well, God didn't give Noah a boat. But Noah had to build that bad for himself, which I, I assume wasn't easy. But uh, but no doubt, no doubt. Or just kind of overseeing you know the process. You know. Yeah. No, I dig that. I dig that. I, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's been on my mind. I actually tried to go to Daily Master last week to give it a shot. Because uh, Emily met the pastor and said he's he's really awesome. So I was like, man, we should try it. You know, we should go and experience it. So maybe I'll go tomorrow morning let you know how it goes. I wanted a full report and tell me how many women were in the sanctuary, how many lay people in general in the sanctuary, who's open in that Jesus tabernacle. You know, it's, it, it, all these things. The thing that's so funny for me, and I get all these responses. I was talking to a priest tonight on the phone. I had this weird perspective because, because of this platform that is built up for some reason. I get responses from people all around the world of what's going on in the parish, what's going on in the parish on the street, what the oh yeah, and so I have this weird, (laughs) let alone like the people I know, like priests and stuff. Like so, I hear these stories, but like I have all these little snitches all around the world telling me what's going on. (laughs) Oh yeah, and I don't know why. I appreciate the snitches, by the way. I I don't know why people like everything. I don't know if you saw that video I posted yesterday of that priest getting up and and oh yeah, in the black like (laughs) t-shirt. Oh yeah. What a, yeah, what I, I have to say this right now, a priest should not be wearing a black t-shirt as his official garb, or uh, uh, those are not clerics, just because it's black. You're not Johnny Cash, father. Uh, <laughs> to speak but, at mass, yeah. But, yeah, but no, all of that was like, none of this is surprising. He gets up, He there's no reverence, you're in the sanctuary, and I, I've been pushing that lately, which is not popular for people, that the sanctuary is not a place for you to take photos, and because it's like a stage, mm. right, like the way it's set up, and you can have photos, that's not, it's the holy of holies, it's the most sacred place physically on earth what are you doing this isn't a stage but we took the altar railings out we did all this stuff and we made it feel like it's just like every other protestant church in the world like this is just a platform where we do that's that's all it is it's not a sacred space we forgot what it is to have things set aside for something holy and amazing and all those things but so that parish it's clearly in a like looks like a semicircle. instead of having the tabernacle behind there's like a glass thing which i assume goes to some type of like daily chapel because i we can't lord willing we have like people actually in the church we gotta have separate places for other day it's just all this stuff is like none of right. this is surprising and then the thing you i didn't put in that video i cut it out was at the end of the priest admonishing people for five minutes the poor vicar there then has to do 20 minutes of whose anniversary is it whose birthday is it it's like this is not entering into the sacred into the divine this is we're here for each other and since you didn't ask about it, i'm going to segue for a second on another thing that's just been <laughs> chapping my hide now that this mode this mode appropriate came out we can have an honest dialogue about the quote-unquote formally known as the extraordinary form versus the quote-unquote formally known as the ordinary form of the mass of the latin rite mass right is this misunderstanding of what the two are in my humble assessment <laughs> The extraordinary form, formerly known as, now is just back to, I guess, the Trinity Mass. The Trinity Mass, the understanding of the way the, 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 
the liturgy took place was it was at the foot of Calvary. The altar is not just the place where we have a meal. The altar is where the lamb is sacrificed. There's a sacrificial nature happening in the liturgy. The mass known now as the mass or the ordinary form formally is a completely different understanding of what the liturgy is and where the liturgy is at the last supper. It's a meal. It's a community thing. Not saying that the, the, the cross and Calvary is not communal, but there's something very much more communal about the fact that we're just going to eat a meal together, right? And it completely right. negates the fact that like, there's a sacrifice happening here. The, the lamb, Jesus, is being sacrificed for us here. Mm-hmm. And so that complete rupture, it is not a harm, uh, harm what do they call it, a hermeneutic, the, the, the continuity of the two, they're not the same. I think Pope Benedict was wrong. And I think it was his attempt to kind of straddle both worlds, but it's, it's a completely misunderstanding of what the liturgy is, what the mass is, the sacrifice is called the mass. The mass, it's, it's sacrificial. And that, so this is where we get into now, you go back to the parishes. That's why I'm bringing this up. The parishes and all these things is the liturgy, the way people have known since the councils um, is that it's about a community and it's about us together. And this is where you have people want to hold hands. And the, and the sign of peace is the most exciting moment for people because they get to wave and do peace signs to their friends around. And it's all about us. And we're at a meal. This is also why people have a hard time getting it through their head. Wait a minute, I'm not Catholic. And you see, I can't go up and receive the Jesus cookie that everyone else is getting. When would I ever invite someone to a meal and say, oh, but sorry, you can't have the main cookie. Right. You can't. Because we've made everything as, pre- as disposed to the fact that we're just here enjoying each other's company and a communal thing. Right. How, why would we ever say, no, I'm sorry, you can't be a part of this because of the understanding of it. And this is for me, as somebody that spent six years in seminary, loves the liturgy, was a master of ceremonies, has done, has served mass all over the world for you name it. It was a shock to me going to the extraordinary form because this was nothing that I ever was taught in seminary. This was nothing that was ever discussed in parishes I was at. This is nothing ever discussed in my whole upbringing within the church. I thought for the 15 years that the Latin mass is just the ordinary form in Latin. I didn't realize like there's, oh, wow. I had no clue. And so for me, when we I didn't even know it existed until my senior year of college. It's yeah, it's 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 clearly, in my opinion, a demonic uh, suppression of what this is, because that's where people don't understand this community, don't understand the desire by the young, um, because of the fact they we have no I had no like hangups on what happened in the 1950s versus two, I, none of that mattered to me. I just knew that there was something going on here that was different. And there was a point that I was uncomfortable and I didn't understand exactly what's happening. So I say all of these things just to go back to this idea of parish hopping. We shouldn't, all of this stuff to me is a, again, an outproduct of a byproduct of the reformation and this idea that what we like and what we prefer and all these things and your truth and all those, you know, you do you boo, as I say all the time, like, <laughs> It's all those those concepts have 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 really wreaked havoc even in the church, um, and I think it's something. Hopefully, um, once a certain generation dies, that we can finally reclaim uh, orthodoxy. I don't question the validity of the the ordinary form. I go to the ordinary form mass, but I definitely think the efficacy is definitely lacking, and I think that's a problem that it's hard for people to realize, and it's hard even harder for people to admit because I think for some people, I think for most people. It is a emotional connection to something. The number one thing that, that I upset people the most is when I go after their music. When I start making fun of their music, <laughs> when I start talking about the fact you shouldn't have hymns or all this stuff, the things that they're singing and this and that, people lose their mind. What that tells me is it's all emotionally based. Not to, not to um, you know, uh, 
diminish what's important to people, but that's not what we're here for. That's not, the music is, is very low on the bar of what's important. Eucharist, Jesus Christ, number one. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that's really interesting, you know, just listening to kind of two themes of what you said so far here tonight is how, you know, you, you criticized the church earlier in talking about how we could learn from Mormons and being more communal and like actually supporting each other and like seeing that each other succeeds and that we're, you know, taking care of one another. And how interesting that is that you also, you know, talk about the fact that the Novus Ordo is very community focused and community built, but you still see that there's like this coldness. Like it's, it's almost like that was kind of the the push there, like making this effort for like, let's be communal, but it's kind of like this shallow, uh, mediocre version of that. It turned the church, the churches have become, now that we've, the par- society doesn't have, in 50 years ago, everyone had different groups they belonged to. Men would belong to Elks Lodge, Knights of Columbus, you name it. They, they were on a bowling league. They were on this. The women had their knitting clubs and all these different organizations to be engaged in. Churches, by and large, specifically suburban churches, have become country clubs. They're just replacements for the country club. And we get together and I have my ministry and I have my thing. And, oh, it's my turn to serve in the parish council. And all. it's just... We've Protestantized our church so bad, specifically here in America, that we don't even understand that it's so bastardized that it's not what our understanding of the of the church is, the church. And so, yes, both things can be true. I think mm-hmm. we need to be better at being relative and communal with one another. I do not believe that the liturgy is the place for me to become buddies with people. I think the closest I can become to my brethren is by kneeling at the foot of the cross as our Lord and Savior gives up his life for our for our salvation. That, to me, I don't know how much more communal you can be. It's not over sharing a hot dog at a fair. Right. Yeah. It's amen. Amen, brother. I think it's kind of like, you know, we stopped, we stopped really, you know, thinking of ourselves as the body of Christ and really started just trying to create our own community in a, in a way, you know, that was just focused around us and us just, you know, gathering around one another instead of gathering around the cross. Exactly. Right. I think it's, Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's like a modern day uh, tower of Babel is all I was going to say. You know what I mean? Of us trying to be like, well, let's just make it more about us and we'll just kind of do it on our own and we'll just change things and, do whatever we like and then you know we'll just we'll just love each other and it'll be great it's like how's that going the problem is we don't love each other we don't love each other we don't really care for one another it's not it's doesn't again you 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 judge a fruit by a, a tree by its fruit that it, the fruit that it bears and so here's my the another example i use so we could talk all day long but we got to have examples for people to understand absolutely how many masses have people been to specifically sunday masses even ordination masses where the, the bishop or the presiding, the priest will, will, at the end of mass, will thank this person, thank that person, thank all these people. We'll have all these extra little things. But when it comes time for the Eucharist. And you get a good clap union, going. We're going to rush through that as quickly as possible. We're going to use Eucharist prayer three or whatever the quickest one is that we can. We can do yeah. all these other things. But when it comes time to the most important part of the liturgy, we're not going to use the canon, which you are supposed to do. Hey, hashtag Vatican II. Uh, uh, Eucharist prayer one. Uh, we're talking about Sundays, feast days, and more important, like ordinations, those type of big events, where we're going to rush through that part. We're going to spend 30 minutes on communion because we got to have 15 different stations. It, like this stuff, I, I, I get frustrated, not because I, I don't think that the church is moving in the right direction. I get frustrated because like, does nobody else see this? Like, this is not hard. This is not rocket science to figure out where we live in a society where we don't, it's the same thing with abortion. 
we, we see the, the black population, the, the abortion numbers are atrocious. But I was on the phone today with somebody saying, in the, at least in my opinion, from where I stand, both physically and, uh, ver, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we, uh, it's a long night. It's after 10 o'clock. Societally. Uh, but yeah, um, no, but like we, we don't have to say like, oh, your life doesn't matter. We show your life doesn't matter by the fact that no one bats an eye that black children are more likely to be killed in the womb. We tell people that even though they don't, we're not saying it, we're showing it. So yeah, people, the priest and the bishop isn't saying, I don't really believe in the Eucharist or I don't really think this is important. He's doing it by his actions. If we truly believe that this is the foot of the cross that Jesus Christ is being slain on that altar, we wouldn't put all these warm, fuzzy, little beautiful bouquets around it and all this little extra stuff to and banners and everything else. And we wouldn't rush through this stuff as if this is not important. We show what we believe by how we act and what we put in as important things. And the Eucharist is always last place. And there's no coincidence that 70% plus of Catholics in this country do not believe in the true presence. And that number, I almost guarantee includes bishops and priests. And that is why so many saints have said the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but more importantly, the road to hell, it will be paved with the skulls of priests and bishops will be on the lampposts. And that is not something to take lightly. That's something that scares me. It's the same thing taking a step back from bishops and priests as lay people, as Catholics, as confirmed baptized Catholics. We have a responsibility at all times to show love to our brethren. And what is loving more, some, what does it look like to love someone more than to will that person to heaven? Anything less is not love. Absolutely. Yeah. And so talk to me about love. So I think, you know, both of, I think both you and I, I know I get accused of it sometimes. I know you do as well. You kind of referenced it earlier. How, because I think in today's world, if you disagree with somebody, it's hateful, right? We live in this world now where like words are violence and um, any type of opposition to somebody's beliefs or their lifestyle, if you object to it in any way, whether you're appealing to religious beliefs, you're appealing to reason, um, appealing to science, it really doesn't matter. If you object with it, it's hateful, it's not tolerant, and it's not what the modern world considers love. So how do we, how do you, how do you go about trying to find that balance? Because obviously it's difficult, you know, in today's world, I think there's so many people, I was just talking to so a friend the other day who's like, uh, kind of takes that, you know, I, I think it's kind of gross in a certain sense of this like nice guy approach of why well, I try to just, you know, to get along with people and all this kind of stuff. And, um, how do you how do you find the balance for you or and where where maybe have you missed the marks i know i've definitely missed the mark at times but and I, I still do all the time but how do you try to find the balance of speaking the truth being bold and even sometimes being funny because that can be difficult too you know it's like i like to be funny i like to, I like to use humor yeah i like to you know have a good time and and people get really butthurt about that. So how do you, find I, I, you know what? This is the first time I've been on a podcast in a long time where they've used the term butthurt. And I appreciate that term. They don't use it enough because I think it's actually homophobic. But um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, the truth is this. Caritas and veritate. Truth and charity. I, I Before COVID hit, I, I just started giving a talk that I came up with in this idea. The thesis is that we don't, we say that we love People. We say that we love, um, you know, our significant others in our life, but we're not willing to hold those people to account. We're not willing to call those people out for things that they're doing that we know are not good for them. And the thesis that I came up with is we say that it's loving that person by allowing them to live their best life that they think is, quote, whatever is going to make them happy. But my, my point always is 
what we're doing is actually we're showing that we're selfish. We're showing that my relationship with this person is so important to me that I don't want to say something that they might take poorly and then leave me. So out of that fear of not wanting to lose this relationship or this friendship, I will say nothing, but I will say it's me being charitable. It's me. And, being and the pride of you making yourself more important than that. your feelings Correct. and your emotions and your happiness. And that is not love. And the thing, and your loneliness. Yes. And the thing that we have to get away from is this idea that we're called to be nice. I'm not called to be nice. I'm not called to be a jerk to you. I'm not called to be an a-hole to you. I'm not called to be just a complete butthead, but I'm called to be, I'm called, we haven't been able to spend any time together because you've been avoiding me all over the country. We're always <laughs> at the same place, like two weeks away from each other, always. That's very true. But, uh, or you're with my <laughs> friends or I'm with your friends, you're hanging out with Father Ilgenbrink or you're with the, we, you know, we have this weird life, but what I'll say is most people know this about me is I meet people for the first time and within moments, I'm calling them out because there's something. There. <laughs> and again, this is why I'm a horrible sinner. This is why I tell people all the time, you need to go to confession. I think everyone should go to confession once a week. I know the church says once a year and ideally once a month. I think everyone needs to go once a week, not because everyone's committing mortal sins, but the Bible verse that I can't get out of my head is if the righteous are hardly saved, mm. what is to be said about the unrighteous and the sinner? That once, one hits. Once again, <laughs> once again, for the people in the back, if the righteous are hardly saved, meaning even all you holier-than-thou people that go to Mass every Sunday and do all the every all day. boxes, or every day, who check all the boxes, if the righteous are hardly saved, what can be said about the unrighteous and the sinner? And Jesus says that we have the heaven is a narrow gate many will try few will enter so given all of that we know you cannot for a second tell me that we will not be judged on the, the things we did that went unsaid because we were trying to be nice we are called to get people to heaven anything less is failure and i refuse to be a failure and so for me i, I like for example my platform I kind of am pretty bold with a lot of things. It's not because I think everything I do is going to convert hearts and minds every single day. But what I do know is successful. And I do know, I mean, I've had plenty of people that have said that they've, it's helped them in their own conversions or going deeper in their faith. But what my real goal is, is to get everyone that's watching along to get them to be more fired up, to feel the confidence, to go out and talk to the people in their communities and their families and their friends, um, to be boldly Catholic without being afraid of being labeled a hater. Um, but yeah, to love someone, if I, I, before we started this podcast, I made a joke about, you know, Emily leaving for the night, you know, that you live, uh, one of the biggest things that we struggle with in our society, especially for men and even more women is, uh, I struggle with it more than we think is sexual purity is, is one of the easiest ways for the devil to get to us is through the flesh. And so right. we as Catholics have to stop pretending that this stuff is okay. That every priest I know, they can't name you a couple who is not cohabitating or at least sleeping together prior to marriage. That is ridiculous. And we have to make it where it's not, it's not acceptable. Does that seem like we're being judgmental and mean? Absolutely. But guess what? I'd rather be a judgmental and mean than to let someone go to hell. Cause as I, I was with a person a few weeks ago who converted to the church a few years ago, pretty well-known conversion, blah, blah, blah. Come to find out they're not going to go to mass. And I said, people that don't go to mass, that tells me that they're sinning. And that they're sinning pretty badly, so they don't feel like they're worthy to go to mass. So that's what's happening. Right. And then come to find out, we start talking, and this guy's having sex with different girls. I'm like, exactly. I said, you don't have to tell me this. I already knew it. Right. And but most people tell you, like in that situation, I should have. I don't know this guy that well. And most people have said, like, you should have said. I literally sat there for an hour in the car the other day talking to him, like parked on the side of the road, dropping him off at his apartment 
after we hung out for a couple hours. And I just said to him, I said, you're a failure. And if you do any, I said, cause this guy wants to, you know, date and wants to meet a girl to, you know, marry and all that stuff. He's a good looking guy. He's got a lot going on for him. And I said, there's no, there's no coincidence of the fact that you haven't found that woman yet because who would want to marry you? What do you do? Who are you? You're not a man. You're being a boy. You're being a beta. You're mm. called to be an alpha male. You're called to like lead someone. You're supposed to lead people. You know? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do, man. I think it's so real, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I think you made an interesting point there of trying to fire people up so that they'll go out and be the voices in their kind of local community. I think that's an awesome uh, approach, I think, uh, for people with platforms like yours. I know I've heard Father Mike Schmitz kind of say that. It's like he gives talks, people listen to his podcast, and he's like, my biggest concern and my prayer for people all the time is when I get the emails from people who have watched the Ascension videos, it's like I tell them to go to their local parish and like, what will they find when they get there? You know, and like, so for us to fire people up and for them to go out and be the lights in the world, I think is really important. But I also think, uh, what is your thoughts on this? You know, I had a friend of mine asking the other day, or kind of, I, I feel like I have a lot of friends, especially from hometown, like high school friends and stuff like that. You, you have a lot of friends. I like uh, that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to be like you, you know, so. Uh, well, I think I have a lot of friends. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of homies from back in the day that they'll, they'll say, you know. I think and you, you probably hear people say this, you know, I'm just not the kind of person who like gets into politics or gets into sharing these types of things or comments on those things. Those days are over. <laughs> yeah, but no doubt, no doubt. But check this out. So he's like, you know, uh, that's just kind of how I am. And, and I tried to explain, you know, I wasn't like straight up defending myself, but you know how there's always kind of that like underlying animosity with somebody who says that because somebody who says that typically thinks that nobody should be sharing those things. Right. Like there's a large spot. I mean, I hear family members of mine, close family members will say, I never talk about politics or religion. I'm like, show me where that's in the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. The hardest part of my entire life, two of the three things you're never supposed to discuss in mixed company are politics, religion and sex is the third. And I always make the joke. I'm like, the first two things are the only things I know. And the third thing I don't know a thing about. So am I just supposed to be quiet the entire time? That's amazing. I, uh, I I talk about that too, you know, politics and religion. I'm like, that's, that's like all I like to discuss. So, <laughs> you know, I dabble in talking about sports too. I do like sports, but um, I think it's just uh, the Yankees. You'll see my, my I see it stuff. I was hoping it, I wasn't seeing it correctly. Let's go Yanks, baby. I'm anyway, a Cubs fan until like last week and I'm kind of on the fence. If you want me to get you a Rizzo Yankees jersey, you know, we can look into that. <laughs> Let that silence hit. Let that silence hit. But I was telling my homeboy, I'm like, listen, I think, and I tell people this, you know, I'm like, I don't think everybody's called, especially on social media. I think we're all called to be bold voices to share the gospel and do those things for sure. But not everybody is 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 called to, you know, give exhortations on the pro-life movement on social media. I'm like, I get that. I'm not saying everybody's called to. I think that it's one of my strengths. I think that people have been. Uh, you know, they've had their minds changed. And so I like to do it. It's something I feel like God's called me to do, whether it be through social media or the podcast, you know, Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel like, uh, obviously, you know, you said those days are over. Like, what are your thoughts on just kind of like the Catholics who I don't like to get into politics or I don't want to share on social media. I don't like to share and piss people off my family, friends. Like, what do you think about that kind of stuff? How do we approach that? The world has gone so mad the days of just putting autopilot on and being worried about dancing with the stars and taking your kids to their next travel baseball team because your son, your eight-year-old son is going to be the next uh, Anthony Rizzo, which is complete nonsense. Oh, yes. um, those days are over because the world is on fire. The world is on fire. And, and all these Catholics who think that they can just like let other people handle it, 
people have been handling it. And that's why your kids now are learning about CRT. The people are, people have been handling it. This is why at Mount St. Mary's, the seminarians are going to be, the students are required to be vaccinated to even come to school. The parent, the people have been handling it in power. And that's why now the military are going to be completely vaccinated. Yeah. The people have been handling it. And this is why we have uh, transgender people now allowed to openly serve in the military, but you can't be born with a heart murmur and serve in the military. You can't, have a planter's wart on your foot and serve in the military, but you can have a mental illness and serve in the military and our government will pay for it. So the letting things be handled by other people hasn't went, hasn't went very well for us. So every Catholic and every person of goodwill needs to be engaged. The days of the silent majority are over. We need to be vocal. We need to be engaged and we need to speak up now before it all falls apart. Amen to that. So what, what are your thoughts on things like, Obviously, so the Pope comes out, bashes your your beloved Trinitine Mass. And so how do you feel about not things like my beloved Trinity Mass? It's the church's beloved Trinity. The church's beloved, our our beloved Trinity exactly. Mass. I love the Trinity Mass as well. But what do you think about things like that? Like how do you balance um like what are your thoughts on like how do you criticize? Like, do you criticize the Pope? Do you not criticize the Pope? Like when's it safe to do that? When's it not? How do we balance, you know, respecting the office of the president? while also, you know, strongly disagreeing with him in pretty much every conceivable way, <laughs> you know, at least a, a, a vast majority of them. How do you kind of find that balance? What do you encourage people to do in that, in that regard? Well, I think people don't understand differences of disagreeing with somebody and respecting authority. Um, having served in the military, I have a unique perspective in that. I'm, saying, I'm assuming same with you. There's sure. people that were in leadership above me uh, we always said in the military, when they make lawful orders, I have to follow them, right? I don't have a choice because it's a lawful order. There is something to be said about there's a difference in opinion on people like this, people like that. I don't like this. To be completely candid, I think, first of all, I question the Holy Father's engagement too much in this motu proprio. It was very hastily drawn. I'm not going to get into details, but there's a lot of things that make me very uh, worrisome on, on just the the manner of which it was released. I mean, he was released from the hospital on a Thursday, Friday morning, that thing's out. You can't, what we went, we spent all this time going through that. I think people think that his pontificate is going to be coming to an end and they want to push that through. Um, there's a lot of unfortunate bad actors within the hierarchy, which for me is not a sign of the church being in bad position. It's the fact that it's a sign for me that you can't tell me this institution that's the oldest institution in the world is not of God because how else has this thing been going? Right. <laughs> yeah. Crazy people. <laughs> um, Amen. But that being said, like I mean, you and me. Yeah. I mean, but the, like the Holy Father is 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 not is is not incorrupt. He is not infallible on everything. He can speak infallibly, and he is the vicar of Christ. And I I sometimes wonder, and this might sound uh, bad. I don't mean it to sound bad. I I love Pope Francis, and I wish the best for him as our as our vicar of for of Christ. But I think sometimes that the Holy Father forgets. He's not just a bishop anymore. He's not just an archbishop of a diocese. He's not a priest in the same sense. He's the vicar of Christ. And that is not something to be taken lightly. And it goes back to all these things that your words, your actions as the vicar of Christ carries more weight than anyone else on this planet that's walking the earth, more than anybody. Right. And understanding the severity of that office and the, the power and the, the complete, it's the last true uh, absolute monarchy on the planet where he has nobody that checks on him except God. Um, the motu proprio for me just did not sit well for many reasons. One, the personal connection to that particular expression of the church. But secondly, because I've never seen anything on this pontificate that was so 
to be completely blunt, nasty. It was not charitable. It was nothing like we've seen under the quote unquote Francis way of how we handle things. Um, show me any other situation where people have been talked to in such a way, have been vilified in such a way. Right. Uh, and this whole this whole thing about I had to respond because of the issue with unity in the church. Bullcrap. If we we're caring about unity, why are you not calling out the German bishops who are literally yeah. like fast peddling to schism? If you're worried about unity, why are we allowing the Chinese government to handpick their bishops that they want and having all these deals that are done by to Theodore McCarrick. If you're worried about unity, why are we allowing for um, Hong Kong to lose? The Cardinal Archbishop in Hong Kong has talked about the issues that are going on there with the CCP. If we're worried about unity, why are we doing all these extra things around the church that are completely broken? If we're worried about the liturgy not being unified, as I talked about earlier, why are we not fixing the millions upon millions of liturgical abuses all over the church? If we're truly worried about unity, this isn't the way to do it. This is a this is an example of a certain generation who have this impression of what the extraordinary form is, and they're wrong, and they're just wrong. And the thing that it was really telling to me is so many of these people have never, bishops, priests, lay people, obviously, but even the, the hierarchy, have never even, one, been to an extraordinary form mass, and two, have no idea what it is, and has never served it. Because I guarantee, once you go into it, get away from the emotional and like the preconceived notions, but just go enter into this you wouldn't have the same reaction. And this caricature that's been drawn of the people that go to that mass that they don't believe love the Pope, they're not unified with the Holy Father, and all these things is bullcrap. Because if those people didn't, if those people truly believe what the church says, what the Holy Father in his, in his letter to the bishops truly believe, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be going to the churches in their diocese. They'd be going to the society. They'd be going to SSPX. They would have been gone by now. Right. These are people, this is the thing, Nathan, this is the thing that gets me so going. This is where I'm getting heated up again. Get heated. I, I'm going to get emotional even because these people that are being dumped on are the people that are giving of their, of their time and their talent. These are the people that pray a rosary every single day for the Holy Father and his intentions. These are the people that go out of their way to make sure they don't do anything that would go against their conscience and what the church asks of them. These are the loyal sons and daughters of the church and the Holy Father in his mode appropriate in the, uh, in the letter to the bishops said these people, you might as well just call them little monsters and they're, and they're so divisive and they're so this, it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. We did an entire podcast on it. Uh, me and my friend, John, and we talked about all of that. And I think one of the most telling things was, was breaking down the statistics of those who attend the Novus Ordo, those who attend the uh, Trinity mass and, and just kind of break it down the pro-life statistics, contraception, uh, cohabitation, transgender, yeah, all that on, stuff. On, on. Yeah, it's something you know that was really, really telling for me. I remember the first time I heard those stats was a couple of years ago, and was when I think I first went to uh, the Latin Mass and just kind of fell in love too. And it was a big part of my uh, conversion, if you will, you know, for lack of a better term, to becoming more conservative and just kind of realizing, you know, I talk about this in almost every episode, I feel like, but as I realized that the more orthodox people tended to be more conservative. I was like, maybe there's something to that, you know? And I think it all comes back to, to what you said earlier um, of just this apathy that is so prevalent in our, and so commonplace in our church and in our world. But the, the, you know, the quote from scripture, the quote from the gospel uh, that you, you shared earlier, if, if the righteous are scarcely saved, like what hope, you know, almost like what hope is there for the sinner and the, you know, the, these people who are just lukewarm and, um, just utterly reject God in their lives. And I think that people don't recognize enough how important all of that stuff is. So I'm so glad you touched on that because that was another thing I stressed to that same friend of mine as he said, 
you know, about not talking about politics or this and that. It was exactly what you've talked about in that, well, I, I just truly believe, you know, that if somebody is a champion of abortion, then that's really not good for their soul. And so to me, it's worth it for me to speak up and like talk about why you should be pro-life. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's worth sharing that because. And, and then let's break that down. Okay. So there's two parties in this country. I know people have this grandiose idea that we're going to have a third, fourth, a fifth party rise up. The South will rise again. It's not happening people. <laughs> you need to realize we're in a two party system. There's no reason for it to change in our lifetime. That being said, there are two parties, which are going to vote one party in their platform got rid of God. One party in their platform, it says it's okay for a man to marry a man. One party in their platform says you can choose choose your gender. One part in your platform says uh, you can kill a child up, up to the point of the child coming out of the womb. One party in your platform says it's perfectly fine for the government to pay for it. So, okay. But then the other party, they have the death penalty. They, the, I do not agree with the, with the Republican platform on the death penalty. I, I again, same, um, but the, but the, but the death penalty in itself is not intrinsically evil. There's a difference. People need to get that right. in their head. Yeah. In modern, in modern times, you don't have in this country in particular, you don't have a necessity for the death penalty. But the church has never said it's intrinsically evil. So there's a big difference in the two. Okay, so let's say the death penalty. Let's move that to the side. And then you have oh, but then the the left side, you know, they're really good helping with the homeless. This that. Show me where that actually actually helps. Show me where any the places with the worst homeless situations, the places with the worst quality yep. of life are liberal run cities. So all this narrative, that's my thing is let's break down this narrative because the narrative doesn't float. The conservatives believe in the fact that the government shouldn't be doing this stuff. We should be doing it as Christians, as people of Christ. Right. We should be helping our brothers and sisters in need. We yep. should be doing things like Catholic charities. The Catholic church is the largest Catholic, or excuse me, the Catholic church is the largest um uh, uh, humanitarian organization in the planet on the planet, and that's how it should be. We just don't believe the government should do it because guess what? When the government doesn't, it's never going to work out well. And the money they take to go do that is it's unjust. The government should not be the way that the taxes work in this country and the way the government just takes our money like in such a huge way. Yes, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, but what we have in this country is complete nonsense. And today, of all days, when they so the Senate passed the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that's going to have anything but infrastructure. We'll have some bridges and things like that. I think like it was that. more than that. Well, it was 1.2 was today. That, oh, that. gotcha, gotcha. Um, but these are things that we need to have honest discussions about. And as Catholics, we need to be engaged. And you know what? So I, all the bleeding heart liberals, I'm sure they're not listening to this podcast, but any of the bleeding <laughs> if you got spend it to everybody else, at this point, they would have shut it off if they were. Uh, the, <laughs> out there in the church, the, the social justice warrior women, they all talk all this crap about, you know, social justice and racial justice and this justice. If your party and the candidates you support thinks it's okay to murder a child, nothing else matters. And this bullshit, excuse my French, I don't ever curse. There we go. So there we go. This is how I just get going. This is complete nonsense that what we should do, in my opinion, is just like the left likes to sit there and say, you're homophobic, you're transphobic, you're this, you're a bigot. Then we need to start saying, well, you're a baby killer. And if you're not a, you're not a baby killer yourself, then you support baby killers. So let's start using that same generalization on people towards the left. You believe it's okay to murder a child. That's what we're talking about. Right. And that's not comfortable. And it sounds mean and it's not good for, you know, polite company, but this is the world we live in. And I think people need to really get it through their head is that we're in a fight for our life. And as, a, as it's a unique perspective, because I don't really get to talk to many veterans anymore in my world, um, but talking to another person that wore the uniform of this nation, one of the greatest honors of my life was wearing a uniform that said United States Navy um, and serving overseas. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now from my vantage point as a veteran, 
who served in the country, who served in Iraqi freedom, my pride to be an American, my excitement to support my, the military in a very short time period has waned exponentially. I never felt the way I do now under the previous Democratic administration. I was not a fan of them by any stretch of the imagination. They did many things I didn't agree with, but the speed and complete an absolute destruction of basic understanding of what it is to be one, an American, and two, being people of goodwill is completely changing daily. And the same military that I was proud to, to serve in and the same country that I was proud to represent are things that I don't know as a Catholic I really can get behind as much. The idea of supporting our troops is something that I've always understood in my lifetime. But there's coming a point now, and we see this with the military, I've talked about this a lot with the hierarchy in particular, the wokeness that is happening in our military mm -hmm. is the military was always the last bastion of like, it wasn't politicized. It was people of goodwill just working and serving in an all volunteer branch or military for the common good of our country to see, excuse me, how quickly this administration has completely politicized our, our military is disheartening. And I talked to a lot of people on active duty on the daily. And to hear the things that they're facing, especially the ones that are Catholic, it's nonsense. And for me, I, I, I have to say, I don't know that I'm proud to be an American like I used to be. I can tell you that I, I think this country is, is, is going down. We're in our best days, like Ronald Reagan said, are not ahead of us. I don't feel that. Maybe something can change, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is this. And this goes back to our original statement from the very beginning of the show. Since the Protestant Reformation, where people say that they can come up with their own truth, they can create their own religion, we have been on this crash course with an inability to work together. Politics has always been filled with fighting and, and bickering and mm -hmm. dis, dis, disagreements. But something has changed in the last few years in our country, and it's not just, oh, Donald Trump was mean. It's we can't disagree anymore on just things of like infrastructure bills and how much we're going to pay for a rail system or how much we're going to pay for this or how are we going to respond to that action. We can't even agree on the basic principles of just foundational understanding of biology about what a man and what a woman is. And I know people go, why do you guys care about that stuff? Because once we start breaking down the basic fabric of just a polite society, but really to biology and truths and language. And language, how do we how do we say, oh, I don't agree with you on that, but can we at least come to a conclusion on how much we're going to pay for this F-16 program? Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah, 100%. It is really difficult, you know, and I think it's interesting to hear you say that because I think there's such a, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, there's <laughs> that, that QAnon group out there, the QAnon followers and that kind of movement in the conservatives um, who really – still I think hail like Donald Trump as like the second coming and like just saw him as this like massive hero. And I don't know what your personal perspective is on him. Um, but I think what you're saying there is really important of the fact that I think there's a lot of conservatives out there who are Christians who I think wrongly believe that America is just like ordained by God to thrive any, you know, in eternity, like, like that it will never cease. This country is killing more children in the womb than any other country on the planet right now. How can you say, God bless America? How can we, this notion that we've lived under that God is praising this country, praising what? 
What are we, right. God, what are we doing that's, and, okay, let's go to the Republicans. You have how many members of the Republican caucus who have done countless things to their mistresses, to this, to that. I mean, I'm not saying that the, that the right is any better. I'm just saying that there's one that's worse than the other. And when you only have two choices, I'm sorry. But this is not a country that I think anymore that we can sit there and go, look at how great we are. We're just not completely off the rails yet, but we're getting there. When you have right. a 70 something year old man who runs a Star Wars shop in Oregon or in Washington state, I believe, getting accosted by a city councilman dressed as a woman, clearly, like, are you joking with me? Who <laughs> now they're fighting and they're like sending people to go to his business and shut his business down and try to, this man, as he says himself, he, he fought in Vietnam and he didn't fight for this crap. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for people living whatever life they choose. I didn't hear that quote. Because you have free, he says it worse. You have free choice in this country and in society to, to do what you want to do. I have no qualms about that. I don't agree with it necessarily, but fine, go, do, you know, whatever. My issue is these people that say they're all for the, the irony of the, of the left in particular is these are the people that are supposedly about free thinking and about open discussions and open ideas are the most radical in their, in their, in their disdain for anybody that does not buy into their thought process. And we're seeing this play out in every facet of our society right now with the COVID stuff, with the mask mandates and the requirement for vaccine passports and that everyone has to be vaccinated. This is, this is tyranny. This is all four years I heard about, oh, we're in a, this is a fascism, blah, blah, blah. Fascism. Are you joking <laughs> me? This is fascism. The fact that they're saying plainly on TV, on the talking heads, the talking heads of the, of the Democratic Party, if you're not vaccinated, you can't participate in society. And the thing I find most, most fascinating is Fine. In New York, they're going to have this uh, this passport system, and you can't go to public spaces if you're not vaccinated. So you can't go to restaurants, hotels, bars, all those things. The black population in New York City is 24% vaccinated. So what population of our of the New York population is going to be uh, segregated, if you will, from modern society? Blacks. But yeah. this is the same party that says that the Republicans are white supremacists and hate minorities. It's like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. And who's the crazy most man in New York city, white people, the yeah, upper middle-class white. Yeah. yeah. But you know, Jim Crow 2.0, right. Am I right? Yeah, man. It's crazy. I think it's so interesting to, yeah, I, I've been talking about that a lot recently and even kind of going back to what we talked about with, with Christians, you know, I don't know if you see my story the last couple of days, but I've been talking about imagine you know, being, I'm like, I said, you know, do you think if somebody who's Catholic that, that supports that, supports mandatory vaccines or vaccine passports, like, do you think they also support like us making masks mandatory for, at least for Catholics? Like, should it be illegal for Catholics to not attend mass on Sunday? It's like, that also contributes to the common good. It also protects you as an individual. It also helps everybody else to be better, right? Like, if you believe, if you profess to be a Christian or a Catholic that believes these things, right? Like, you, you claim that title by yourself, and you believe in mandatory vaccinations for the common good and for protecting people's bodies, like, what, what type of mandatory things do you advocate for for protecting people's souls and for guarding souls and for these types of things? And it just doesn't exist. Or it's like, how do you, how do you say, you know, just like the, the most classic thing we've heard this whole time of conservatives saying, my body, my choice when it comes to the vaccine, but you think that it's my body, my choice when it comes to murdering an innocent baby in the womb. But when it comes to somebody having freedom of their own actual medical decisions, 
that only affect them. You know what I mean? That, that there is not a great deal of science that shows that it protects other people as well. And especially didn't four months ago when everybody was advocating for it, the CDC's website, I remember posting screenshots from the CDC that said, this, there's not, this, we have no proof that this stops this shit from spreading. You know what I mean? Everybody's like, you have to get it to stop the spread. It's like, where are you getting that from? Oh, with Tony Fauci said it, the greatest doctor in the world. The highest paid government employee. I don't, I don't buy into like conspiracy theories. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I tell people all the time with my background in politics, the most, the most authentically real political show I've ever seen in my life. And if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it immediately. The entire series is Veep from HBO. That is the most authentic and real depiction of federal government. So to think of, and the dysfunction that it is, to think that there's people like doing conspiracies to like play games, like let's decide next week, we're going to make them wear masks again. Like, I just don't buy that. I think we just have the unfortunate thing and the unfortunate reality that we live in is if you're that good of a doctor, there's a good chance you're not going to work for the government because you're going to make way more money in the, in the private sector. If you are that successful in the private sector, how likely are you going to be the type that's going to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my really good cushion life to go work in the government. You're not, um, your, your pay is very, very, you're not rewarded in the government. You're not show me anywhere you're rewarded in government for doing a good job. You're not. So we don't have the best and the brightest that are serving our country in different levels of the government. I'm not here to, to dump on people that work at the government, but it's just the by and large thing. And if people don't believe me, and if you have your audience who gets mad at me, go to a VA hospital any time of the day, any place <laughs> in the country, and tell me that this is the best and brightest. If you don't believe me, go to almost any military command, most especially yep. our civilian workers. Again, no offense, but I have dealt with this stuff. And I always talk about whenever I hear people talking about socialized medicine, blah, 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 I'm like, I, 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 go, I deal with socialized medicine every day because I'm a vet. Talk about talk to me about care. I get anything I want from the VA for free, but it ain't free. And it isn't the best. And it's <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> I, I just, we are living in a, in a day and age where so many people, I think the biggest thing for me with the COVID that has just really just shook me, if you will, and I don't get shook very often, is how quickly people became sheep. And I don't say that tongue in cheek. But people just said, like, this whole thing now, I live in a city that's masked again. I got a guy yelled at me the other day because I wasn't wearing a mask on the elevator. I'm fully vaccinated. I don't think people should be forced to get vaccinated. But I'm fully vaccinated. And according to the CDC, two weeks ago, I'm good to go. And the fact that the government could just say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, do this, do this. It's just people go along and they go, that's what the government says, is scary to me. And that as we terrifying. started on the very beginning of this show, I am a, a fulfilled Jew. And I'm sorry, and I'm not saying it's the Holocaust. I'm not comparing COVID to the Holocaust. But there are very serious similarities to oppressive regimes and getting your people to do things that you would normally look at on the surface and go, there's no way everyone's going to go along with this. But when our government has been able to keep people locked down for over a year and a half, and no one, there was no real uprise, no serious one, that's a problem. The fact that people don't speak out. You see fighting back now in Italy and in France and those places. Italy's on their like third constitution. They like they'll, they'll topple that government next. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have we've we've made this impression, this deification of our government in our in our country is also scary. The the whole thing with the the attacks on on January sixth it was wrong. It was illegal. Those people should be punished, and they're getting punished way more than people that burn down federal buildings everywhere else in the country. People that murder people get less 
punishment than these people are getting right now. Hold another subject. But the way the media and people were talking about the attack on the Capitol as though this is some sacred building and this is some sacred, it's a federal government office building. Is it, a, is it an important one? Yes. Is it a historic one? Yes. But it's not some divine place. I don't for a second believe in that. And I think that's one of the problems we're getting to is we're seeing this kind of deification of our federal government and of government in general and yeah. how that plays a role in people's view of the government. To take it back to your other thing is I am a Republican. I have worked on many presidential campaigns. I have worked in many presidential or other campaigns in various capacities. I was not a supporter of Donald Trump in the primary. Uh, I was a Jeb guy. Um, but I will say this, and I would say it proudly. I am not a Donald Trump fan. I am a Trump administration fan. The Trump administration will, in my opinion, and had January 6th not happened in the whole thing, I think it would have been easier to make this claim, but I, I still think the claim stands true. That administration will go down as one of the best administrations in our lifetime. The number of Catholics, good practicing Catholics that were in all facets of the executive branch of the mil of the government was awesome. One of Donald Trump's lead speechwriters is a Opus Dei numerary. That is crazy awesome. I have never in my life seen an administration that was more open to dialogue with different groups. I was on a, con when COVID happened every other week, I don't know if you were, if we were in connected in that time, but every other week or week, I was on a conference call with the president, with the head of this department, the secretary of this, the secretary, the president was on a call again. I was on a call with the president, a bunch of cardinals and this, they were always really good about keeping people engaged and informed and wanting people to have a voice. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy to think about that, you know, and I think a lot of people changed throughout that the the Trump administration, those four years. It's definitely tough that uh, January 6th, um, you know, is the the lasting taste, I think, in so many people's mouths as that that administration came to an end. But no, 100 percent. I mean, you said a lot of really, really good things there. Um, and I think that. uh yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy, man. The world's just so effed up. I don't understand how we got to this point. And like, I mean, what you said. Those people, if they, if, let's, okay, let's just take a step back and like be realistic here. If conservative leaning people of that ilk that went into the building that day, if they wanted to take over the government and they wanted to do like some crazy stuff, those people are the weak people that own guns. Those are the people. Those right. people that actually have the, the means to really take over the government if they wanted to. Yeah. You wouldn't show up with, with pepper spray. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fortified building. Bare -handed. What happened that day, in my opinion, my opinion, is those people got all caught up in the moment. There's a lot of emotions. And I don't believe this was just about the election. I think people are very frustrated. When in our country, in our lifetime, as the government locked you down for months upon months upon months where people's livelihoods were completely wiped out, where people saw so much complete uncertainty in their life. I think people were, there was a lot of frustration just to go. I think it was a, a steaming pot that just, oh, just went crazy. But I think it was wrong what those people did, but I think the left has, the left I think loves it because now they have this narrative that the, the right is just a bunch of crazy people that want to take down the government. Go back to every other presidential election in the last few decades of a Republican winning, Donald Trump being one of them, go to the floor of the Senate and watch in the House, excuse me, the House, and watch the uh, ratification of the election results and watch all the members on the Democratic side that speak up to call into question the election. It mm -hmm. happens every single time. It, this is something that happens. It's almost performed at this point. 
Right. So the narrative, I just, that's my thing is I don't buy the narrative, but now because that's why I'm so frustrated by this because now it's, we've given an in and people and Republicans aren't fighting back. We've given it in. So now think about this for a second. We live in a, in a country and a time and age where a former president at the time, a sitting president was taken off the biggest platforms and not able to have a voice in our, what's equivalent to our local and, and modern Times Square. Right. And if they can do it to him, they can do it to anybody. And now look at the stuff with the vaccines and the COVID and how many people they've deleted their accounts also. We don't live in a free society anymore and no one's woken up to that yet. Yeah. It's going to be a tough awakening. It's going to be a tough awakening. I think it's crazy to see. I, I love what you said about the Capitol kind of being this, you know, divine or like special place in like this progressivist world, you know, um, that we live in now. You, you watch, you know, church getting destroyed or vandalized okay. or burned down. To, yeah, nobody cares at all. And then the Capitol gets attacked. And it is. It really is like, you know, I'd like to joke and say it's like daddy government to everybody um, that they just like have this like idol worship. These pe- exactly. And this is the thing is for the left, their God is government. Right. And that's why they get so heated about these. And things. that's, that's why our rights come from the government. The government can give and take because the government is, is God. And if you view if that, you don't believe, if you don't believe in an actual God, you don't believe in an afterlife, you don't believe in anything else. Then of course that's, that's, that's your. The all powerful being. Yeah. And so, yeah, the government would have the right and, and not just the right, but the obligation to give away and take, give and take away your rights as it the sees fit. Give it the good Lord. Take <laughs> you just go with that shit. Cause what are you supposed to do? It's the government. Daddy government says you can't go outside and play today. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. You better keep that ass inside. So yeah, man. we have to, this is where Catholics and people of goodwill have to realize we are in a battle and we have to speak up. We have to do what we can. We have to say enough. And I'm sorry, but I've been very disappointed that our Republican uh, members of Congress, and maybe they're doing performa things on the floor and whatnot, they need to be speaking out. We need people to speak out because at the end of the day, these companies, they don't even care anymore about profits because they're going to get the profits, whatever. We see this in every facet of society that people, the, 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 the NFL, the league, which is craziness. They had a whole video series about how the, the NFL is gay, the NFL is bisexual, the NFL is black. <laughs> but they didn't say anything about the NFL being straight. They didn't say anything about the NFL being white. They didn't do that. How many in the big scheme of the NFL world of how much money they bring in or any sport for that matter, how much of the homosexual population or the transsexual population, transgender, whatever it is, is tuning in every Sunday, tuning in and is buying the jerseys, is going to buy the hot dogs, is going to the game. How many? Yeah, you know probably, probably a good three to five percent. <laughs> One to three. They're not even a big population. They're not even a population of the country. So it's like, bro, that was the funny shit about the. Uh, did you see the the recent like TikToker that was you know doing the did like the Instagram reel like the TikTok video with Jen Psaki in the White House recently? I talked about it and everyone's mad at me because like he's a comedian. I'm like I don't care. I know he's a comedian, but this is ridiculous. Yeah, like normalizing this in the in the White House. The best part though was I was watching Matt Walsh today. And he was talking about it. He's like, <laughs> exactly what you just said. He's like, bro, he's like, all we hear is that it's these crazy redneck white people, conservatives, you know what I mean? The Republicans who won't get vaccinated. He's like, and this is the guy <laughs> they picked to come and try to convince us to get vaccinated. This dude with his nails done, wearing a dress, you know what I mean? It's like, who, how's he going to get redneck Bob to go down and get vaccinated in town? When you got this guy coming on trying to convince you to do it. It's like, come on, man. He's not getting anybody. The whole vaccine. It's also funny because the vaccination hesitation stuff that they're talking about, 
it's not the the the, the narrative that it's all a bunch of rednecks republicans is not true no i mean just, yeah you gave the stat i mean yeah a quarter of blacks in new york city are, are backstage I, I used to like i always thought it was really funny you might appreciate this. I thought it was really funny when when uh, the vaccine the vaccines are rolling out and people, certain family members of mine were like super eager to get it and whatever. You know what I mean? I was like, I was like, this vaccine and the way that it went down. I'm like, this is the exact type of thing that black comedians in like the early 2000s would have clowned white people for getting. And I'm like, I don't know how so many of my black family members and friends who used to like watch all those comedians with me would like, this is the type of shit they'd be like, white people crazy for going after this. You know what I mean? Chris Rock would have had a field day with this. Chris a Rock field day. And Dave Chappelle and all Dave Chappelle. Guys. You know what I mean? Eddie Murphy. Like, uh, I mean, it would have been Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac would have been like, hell no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's crazy. You just see people today, though. I mean, exactly what you said. Yes, daddy government, I will go and do as you said. Joe Biden has my best. The other thing that I think is so interesting, and we could go on a whole other thing about this and just the vaccines, but I don't want to get into it. But uh, the other thing that I think is so crazy, though, is when you see these quotes from the Democratic leaders who were like, I can't get I can't trust President Trump. This administration is crazy. I'm never going to get it last fall. Say vaccines, say vaccines, nothing. <laughs> and now they're like, you must get it for the public good. And I'm just like, how do people just not care? If you're like a diehard Democrat, you were like you you were them, and then three months later, somebody changed office. It's the same plan, same vaccine, same rollout plan, different guy, and you're like, I can't wait to get. The, you're posting pictures of yourself with your car, and shit. put it on your Facebook profile. You can't make it up, man. It's a beautiful thing. I will but, tell you two things I do not like when it comes to the profile pictures. You just brought that up. If someone in their profile picture has a mask on, no thank you. And if someone has their pronouns, no thank you. Oh, the pronouns is a must, bro. I forgot to ask you what yours were. We should have started with that. So I apologize. I will My get that. My pronouns are, I'm going to go and watch this movie right now. End <laughs> <laughs> this end this with a message of hope, Austin. What do you, what do you have for the world? Why should... Why should we still be hopeful in the midst of all this madness? Because Jesus Christ is king. Like, that's why I said even in the church, we went through, we've, went, we've had popes that have, there was a pope that had his, pre, his predecessor dug up and put on trial the bones of his predecessor pope and had him on trial. I mean, Damn. we've had popes that have had illegitimate children. We've had presidents who've done horrible things. Like, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that the war is won, but we have to be engaged in the battle. We can't check out. We can't. Uh, get into uh, 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 complacency. But here's the most important thing. And this is the thing I, after everything we've discussed, which it's been a long gamut of things. And we, I think we have many more things we can discuss coming up. But this is the thing that I think people have to remember. In all of time and space, God created for each one of us individually to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. This, all the things we're dealing with, all the things we're facing, this is the opportunity to create saints like we've not seen in our lifetime. Imagine we've, a lot of people look back and wax poetic about what, how awesome it would have been to be alive in the 1920s and thirties when priests were, you know, on movies and it was beautiful. Like there'd be, there's a, there's a nostalgia there that we look back to and longing for that. But there's something about at least the fighter in me. And I think the fighter also in you about we're not the, the cool kids. We're not the ones that everyone's like, oh, everything's just handed to us. We have to fight for this. Mm-hmm. We have to fight for everything that we have. And so always remembering that God picked this time, this place, these situations to help us on our road to salvation. Amen. 
to that. I appreciate it. It's been so good talking with you uh, during this hour. And I hope everybody enjoyed listening to our conversation. Definitely go and check out Austin at the Basic Catholic. We'll tag all that good stuff in the show notes. I appreciate all the good work you're doing in the church, my man, and everyone. Yeah. Go ahead. I just think that you are doing such amazing work. I think having, and I think this is one of the first conversations you and I had last year was, or whatever that was, someone like you, as you get ready to to get married and Lord willing have children, Mm. um, we need holy men. We need holy families in society. You are going to have just this thing I said earlier about, like I try to rah-rah the people that follow me, people that are living their vocation out in the world, um, like what Jose Maria talked about, people like you are going to change the world. You're going to change hearts and minds. And so knowing that you are my brother in arms on the front lines, I know that we're in good hands, minus the fact that you were in the army. So you don't really know how to fight in a war, but you know, at least you'll know how to manage the equipment or something. That's right. Praise the Lord for logistics training. I really appreciate that, man. You're you're a good man despite your despite your uh, hateful comments there towards the end. Uh, but thank you so much, man. It's been great talking with you. I, I really appreciate all that you do. Um, and everybody, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review if you get a chance today. It's been great having you with us. Go out there and be your best.